Well, good morning. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Paul. Uh, I am actually uh, Joe and Alyssa, who are the pastors here, are uh, taking some well-deserved vacation. And uh, so you're stuck with me. So if, if you're a guest this morning, uh, please come back. The preaching is usually better than this. Um, I'm actually a pastor at Central Avenue Church in Athens, Ohio. And uh, Joe and Alyssa, who are the regular pastors here, are much younger and much cooler. And the reason you know that is because a pastor my age would never have you step up this big of a step to get up on the platform and would never have it this dark because I can't read my notes. So this is going to be kind of interesting anyway. So um, I, I literally can't read my notes. So this is going to be very fun. Uh, this week, you're starting into a new series of teachings uh, as a community on the subject of doubt. Uh, what's the nature of doubt? What's the relationship of doubt to faith? When we have doubt, what do we do with it? And then as a church community, as a group of people who are trying to discern what does it mean to walk with God, what do you do when people within your church community wrestle with doubt, sometimes serious struggles with doubt? And so Joe and Alyssa sent out a really short survey this week on social media, and we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your understanding of doubt your honest wrestlings with the subject. And so sometime this week, if you could take a moment and go to that, uh, go to that survey, the, the address is on the screen, and take it, it'd be really helpful. It's also a helpful way for you to think through the idea of doubt on your own as well. Because here's what I know. First, doubt is not something that gets talked about in a lot of churches these days, and even among a lot of Christians. There is this tendency for Christians and some churches to, to kind of portray the image like we have it all together, right? Like we have no questions, we have no struggles, we have no wrestlings, we've got it all figured out, we never question anything. And so doubt doesn't get a lot of reflection in churches today. But here's the other thing I know. Everyone in this room wrestles with doubt. At some level, everyone in this room either has or will. In fact, I can safely say that I can break this room into three groups of people. We can say that, that group number one is a group of people that either has or is wrestling with some level of doubt, some level of questions, right? Group number two is a group of people that haven't wrestled with doubt yet, but you will someday. And then group number three you're brain dead. Well, I mean, you're not brain dead. This group of people, they just don't think deeply enough about things. They haven't wrestled with it. They don't have a childish faith. They, have, they don't have a childlike faith. They actually have a childish faith. See, if you are serious about your faith, if you reflect on life and pain and suffering and complexity... Uh, if you contemplate the mysteries of life and what does it mean to live a life of faith in a fallen world, if you take these things seriously at all and you're honest, then chances are you're going to come to a point where you're going to wrestle with some serious questions. You're going to have some uncertainties, some issues. You're going to wrestle with some doubt. And so the question for us is not, uh, will I wrestle with doubt? That's not really the question, because chances are you will. The question we have to wrestle with is, what are you going to do with your doubt? 
What's the source of it? What are the triggers of it? How do we understand it? And how do we understand it together as a community? That's the big question, really. And the really central question is, for those of us who want to follow Jesus, for those of us who want to have just a vital living relationship with God, can God use our doubt and our struggles and our worries to move us from where we are to someplace even deeper in our relationship with God, someplace better? Can God use our honest doubt and wrestling to form us more and more into kind of sacrificial followers of Jesus Christ who actually end up loving God and loving people more in spite of or even because of our doubt? Can God use your doubt redemptively? So uh, I'm just going to introduce the subject today, and then next week, uh, Joe and Alyssa will be back, and Joe will take over uh, part two. Uh, but let's uh, say a word of prayer, and then we'll reflect a little together. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are with us, that you desire to speak to us and teach us. And I pray for folks who are in this room, uh, God, that you would, uh, by your spirit, you would speak to our hearts, and uh, anything that you want to say to us, uh, we declare that we want to be open to it. Uh, we want to be open to what you'd have to say, and if you speak to us, we will listen and we will be obedient for Jesus' sake and all of God's people said. So on October 1st of this year, at 10.05 p.m., uh, a lone gunman smashed two windows and began firing relentlessly into a crowd of more than 22,000 people at the Route 91 Harvest Festival in Las Vegas. And by the time that the gunfire and all of the chaos ended, at least 59 people were dead, more than 500 people were injured. This is now the worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history. Of course, just a couple of months before that, similarly 22 people, including children, uh, were killed at an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, in, at the Manchester Arena. And here's the thing, when these kind of attacks happen, and they happen what seems like increasingly more, they always, they seem so random, don't they? They seem so senseless. When these kind of things happen, these random acts of violence, then we struggle. And we ask questions. How could this happen? What's going on? Is life safe? Is God there? Is God good? This summer, Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria actually changed parts of Texas and Florida and the Caribbean forever. A hundred people were killed. Damage estimates are around $200 billion. Lives were lost, businesses. And often when these kind of tragedies happen, and what do we call these things? We call them Acts of, acts of God, when these kind of tragedies happen, it just causes us to wonder, like, is God good? Is God in control? Or maybe, have you ever, one of these books or one of these movies come out, and there have been a number of these over the years, maybe it's a book like uh, The Da Vinci Code, or there was one more recently called Zealot. And it's kind of one of these books that call into question like the historicity of Jesus or is the Bible actually reliable? 
Maybe it's one of these popular books written by celebrity atheists. There have been a big stream of them, and they go, it almost seems like they're evangelizing for atheism. One I read uh, a number of years back was by Richard Dawkins. It's called The God Delusion. Any of you happen to read this book? Uh, at the beginning of the book, he writes this. If this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be... This is his goal. This is his goal. And at least at some level, you think, well, you know, these are smart people. Some of them are scientists. They're great thinkers. Uh, they're, they're respected. And you read their books and you think, you know, I may not totally buy into it, but, but what if they're right? What if I've been wrong? You know, that's a pretty convincing argument. And if all of those things don't cause you doubt, then they're Christians. Uh, this is a fairly recent phenomenon, actually, but there are an increasing number of people who are turned off to Jesus, not because of Jesus, but because of people who claim to be his followers. There's an author by the name of Brennan Manning. He wrote this quote. He once says that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. People who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. There's a guy by the name of E. Stanley Jones who, back in the early 1900s, he was, a, he was actually a missionary. And he went and set up a lot of, actually, relief efforts in India and lived his life in India. And Dr. Jones uh, wrote that the greatest hindrance to the gospel in India was India's dislike for Western domination. Imagine that, don't want to be dominated. Or Western snobbery or Western, the Western theological system or Western militarism, militarism or are race prejudice. And at some point, Jones was meeting with a man, and I'm afraid to say his name, so I'm not even going to try, and he said this. And by the way, this quote is often attributed to Gandhi, but Gandhi didn't actually say this. It's one of those urban myths that kind of developed over time. Uh, this guy said that Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you are not like him. And Jones writes that the embarrassing fact of Christianity is that that India is judging Christians by the values that we profess that we don't live up to. And can we be really honest here? Many of my atheist friends, at least in some ways, are more like Jesus than some of the people I met who profess to be Christians. Uh, today, there are a lot of people who are horrified and embarrassed at the way that American Christianity has promoted nationalism or political agendas. By the way, this is true on both sides. Um, and they do it in the name of Jesus, but these things are often so contrary to the teachings of Jesus. Then people are getting turned off to Jesus in the church, and it causes tremendous doubt. And then finally, there's just life that we have to deal with. At some point or another, even those of us who really want to walk with God, who really want to do this, this Christian life thing, we struggle. A little baby is born and then dies tragically in the first few minutes of life. Someone prays for an alcoholic father for 20 years and he never changes. A wife prays that her husband will be healed and she begs God to change her husband's heart, but hearts are still hard and papers are still filed and the marriage is still ended. Guy in his early 40s has a seizure at work and just out of the blue and many days and several tests later, he finds out that he has cancer, 40 years old. 
In an instant, his life changes. A woman desperately wants to have a child, and they struggle over and over with infertility. And the couple has been praying and trying, and people are always asking, so when are you going to have a baby? And every time they say it, it cuts deeper and deeper and deeper. And it seems that all around, everywhere they look, there's babies everywhere. Babies popping out. They go to church over Christmas and virgins are having babies. <laughs> and she can't get pregnant. And the question is, does God really know? Does God really care? And when we're honest, wrestling with those kind of things, those painful things, causes us even for a moment to really struggle, to really doubt, what do I really believe? What do I really believe about God? What do I believe about this world? So this morning, I just want to do a couple things. Number one, I'm going to uh, just make a couple of simple observations about doubt and our struggle with it. By the way, much of this comes from a little book called uh, Faith and Doubt by John Ortberg. It was written a number of years ago. And then I'm going to uh, just start to talk briefly about what do you do when you're struggling with doubt. And understand that this is just the introduction to the series. This is just the start of it. But if you come back next week, all of your questions will be answered when Joe teaches. <laughs> Seriously, after next week, you will never have another question or struggle or doubt in your entire life. And I can say that with complete confidence because I know he's listening to this podcast. And I'm just setting him up for a wind. So just some general observations about faith and doubt. Observation number one. First, doubt is an inescapable part of the human condition. Doubt is an inescapable part of the human condition. Everybody doubts. So if you're here and you're wondering about some doubt that you have at some level, or maybe you're here and you don't know what you think about the whole Jesus thing or God, and you're wondering could I even be a Christian? How can I be a Christian because I have all of these doubts? If you're here and you've ever had doubts, I want to make it clear that you are not alone. You are not alone. I want you to know something about me. I've been the pastor of the church where I'm at for, for just over 20 years. Uh, before that, I pastored almost six years in another church in a little town in West Union in Adams County. Uh, before I, to become a pastor, I went to seminary. I spent four and a half years studying, uh, getting a master's degree, studying the Bible in seminary, uh, learning how to translate uh, Hebrew and Greek and read in the original languages. I'm currently working on a doctorate. Um, in my 25 years of being a pastor, I've kept a really regular uh, kind of habit of study, discipline of study. It would not be far off to say that I read or study or reflect on the Bible about 20 hours a week. Minimum. Over the years, I've memorized large chunks of scripture, uh, chapters, even books. And here's why I tell you all that. I think sometimes we have this tendency to think, if I just knew more, right? If I just knew more, I would have fewer doubts. And by the way, there's a sense to which that's somewhat true. Um, I think study and wrestling with stuff often strengthens our faith. I think it's good to study what's called apologetics, which is why do you believe what you believe and kind of the historicity of the Bible and all that stuff. But here's the thing. After all of that reading and all of that study of the Bible, it hasn't made me doubt-free. I have wrestled and sometimes still wrestle with different questions and doubts. I've wrestled what, with what I believe about the Bible. I've questioned what I understand this book to teach. I've questioned what I believe about God. I've even questioned the existence of God at times. There have been moments, although honestly quite brief ones, uh, 
but they have happened, where I've wondered, am I kidding myself? Am I wasting my life doing this pastor thing? Have I given my life to something that's absolutely worthless? Is this all there is, this life? Is the Bible just one made-up story that makes us feel good about life, to maybe give us a little bit of hope, to, to make us feel better about pain and suffering, to add some sense of meaning to all the randomness around us? And I tell you all this because I think sometimes we can get this idea that there are like these people over here and they've got it all figured out and they never struggle with doubt. And then there's me and I have these things and I could never be like that. But here's the truth. I don't believe that that's true. I don't believe that's true. Certainly not over the long term. Doubt is just a part of the human condition. And by the way, you need to know that doubt is not just a Christian phenomenon. It's a human experience. Because whenever there's, whenever there's faith, whenever there's trust, there is a potential for doubt. We all live by faith. Not just Christians. We all live by faith. The question is, what are you putting your faith in? See, you may be in this room and honestly... You don't know what you think about this, this Jesus thing, or you may consider yourself more of an agnostic or even an atheist, but even you, you're exercising faith. You may be exercising faith in yourself or human potential or human development, the overall goodness of people, but you are all exercising faith. This is something we all have in common. But here's what I find interesting. I will argue, since we all sort of, in a sense, live by faith, Whenever there is faith, there is the potential for doubt. Doubt is a part of the human condition. Uh, I'm close friends with an avowed atheist. And when he gets vulnerable, he'll say with me, you know, I often doubt my atheism. It's not just Christians who doubt. So uh, if you wonder or ever struggle with doubt, Part of what it means, this is just part of what it means to be a finite creature with a limited IQ, right, is that there is no escape from doubt. And so if you want a doubt-free existence, you have got, you're in the wrong species for that. And maybe this, this will lead us to our first kind of word for us as Christians and for you as a community called Central City. We need to be open and honest and transparent when we struggle with doubt. Uh, there's a single small verse of Scripture. Uh, it's in a book called Jude. Jude is such a small book, it doesn't even have chapters. It's just Jude 22, verse 22. I love this. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. Why? Because that's us. That's you. That's me. So, let this community... Never be the kind of community that condemns people who doubt. Let's not look down on people who ask honest questions. Be merciful. Show mercy to those who doubt. Now, you don't leave people there. Let's get good at encouraging faith and, and uplifting people and asking good questions. Let's work at encouraging obedience and study because I actually think when we do that, we have less and less doubt. But let's be honest in this. And let's not condemn people who doubt including, by the way, yourself. Including by yourself. When you are struggling with doubt, be merciful to yourself. 
Don't turn it into a continual faith crisis. Don't think that you're less of a Christian because you have questions. God is big enough to handle your questions and your struggle and your doubt. So let's not give up on people because they struggle with doubt. Uh, Friends, remember that as long as you have faith, you will have doubt. So doubt is not the opposite of faith. We often get this wrong. We often see doubt as the opposite of faith, but doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. In fact, if you think about it, doubt is actually a necessary ingredient if you're going to have faith, which leads us to observation number two. Observation number two is if handled correctly, doubt actually strengthens your relationship with God. Being honest about your doubt, working on your doubt, actually strengthens your relationship with God. It actually pleases God. And I'm going to get kind of philosophical with you for a moment. So if, you're, uh, if you've fallen asleep, I'm going to ask that you wake up for just a moment. And uh, to illustrate this, I need a, I need a volunteer. Uh, and uh, I'm going to make a claim. I'm going to make a claim that I have in my hand a $20 bill. Who believes me? Anybody? Who believes me? $20 bill. Preferably somebody I don't know. It's just this first row. You believe me? Okay, here's the question. Why? Why do you believe me? You young fool. Um, well, now I am going to destroy your faith. Okay? You know how I'm going to destroy your faith? I'm going to show you what's in my hand. In my hand is, in fact, a $20 bill. I have now destroyed your faith. Why? Because you now know what's in my hand. And now, you don't need faith anymore. Now, friends, think about this carefully. Faith is only required when there's a level of uncertainty. Faith is only required when there's actually some doubt. When knowledge comes, faith is no more. There's no need for faith. See, I've known so many people who, for example, say, I can't become a Christian because I still have doubts. Well, of course you have doubts. And if you become a Christian, you'll still have doubts. Christians walk by faith. As long as there are doubts, as long as there's uncertainty, that's only when faith is needed. And when doubt is gone, when the bill is shown, there's really no need for faith anymore. Does this make sense? You see, here's the thing. Faith pleases God. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, This $20 bill thing is actually what Paul, the apostle Paul, was getting at when he wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, um, he uses this image of looking to a glass or a mirror. He says, now we see, and seeing is a knowing word. Now we see, but a poor reflection. In other words, there's confusing, there's confusion, there's misunderstanding, there's doubt, there's question. But then we'll see face to face. Then there will be a time when the bill will be shown, where there'll be no more doubting. 
Now we know in part, we have questions and doubts, but then, then I shall be fully known, I shall know fully even as I'm fully known. Friends, the idea is, is that on this side of life, on this side of the mirror, we live in an age where we need faith. And certainly in life with God, it's all about faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, entire chapter is about faith. But look at verse uh, 1 through 6. Writer says, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients, this is what the, the folks from long ago were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that it was not made out of what was visible. Have we seen it? No. We just, we accept that by faith. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, he he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. By faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away for Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God, verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Notice the pairing between faith and belief and therefore doubt. Now, uh, you had faith in me and volunteered with a $20 bill, and the Bible says that faith is rewarded. And so uh, would you come up here? Come up here. Uh, faith is always rewarded, so I'm going to give you the $20 bill. Thank you. It's a pretty profitable church service. Now, let's say that I have a $100 bill in my hand. Who believes me? Yes, I see those hands now. Your faith has increased. So, number one, doubt is an inescapable part of the human condition. Doubt will always be present because there's a need of faith, and faith pleases God. Uh, What all this means, friends, is that you can have a really strong faith and still have some doubt. Your faith can be strong, and you can still have doubt. You can be used by God. You can be heaven-bound, and you can still express some uncertainty over some theological issues. You can be a full-fledged Christian without having to fear, uh, have every single question figured out. In fact, I would argue that wrestling with God over the issues of life is not a lack of faith. Wrestling with God over the issues of, faith, uh, of life is what faith actually is. Faith is wrestling with God over the issues of life. Now hear me carefully. I'm not saying that doubt is the goal. I'm saying that doubt is just a necessary component to get to the goal, a life of faith. So, final thing. Briefly, what do we do with doubt? Well, two things. Number one, in saying that doubt is important, even necessary, part of faith, I'm not suggesting that we nurse doubt. And I think this sometimes can happen in people, and it can can happen in certain kinds of churches. I think sometimes we can have a seed of doubt or a question and rather than bring it into the light, rather than talk about it, rather than wrestle with you know, the scriptures and w- with other Christians and saying, this is what I'm struggling with, we can just kind of privately nurse that doubt. And I've seen this a lot over the years, whenever some, the, usually these exciting new discoveries about Jesus books or movies come out. You've seen those, right? 
You know, uh, the exciting new discovery on the, on the Discovery Channel program, there's always this exciting new discovery that, by the way, scholars have been talking about for the last 50 or 100 years. Um, but they're, the exciting new discoveries, and, and people were like, you know, they'll be like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start studying the Gnostic Gospels. I'm just going to read up into them, and they don't even read, like, the regular Gospels. Now, don't be the kind of Christian who's afraid to read that kind of stuff. Um, it's fine. Uh, do read it knowing that incredible minds have wrestled with this kind of stuff before, but read away. You don't need to be afraid to read things or watch things, but don't give all your time reading to the Gnostic Gospels if you're not even considered like, you know, apologetics and, and why you believe what you believe. Don't nurse doubt. But there's an equally bad thing that sometimes we do when we experience the messiness of doubt. It's almost the opposite of nursing it. Where we don't want to nurse our doubt, we also don't want to run from it. We don't want to avoid it and bury it. Rather, and here's what I'm going to suggest is a great way to deal with doubt. If you ever experience doubt, I want to encourage you to learn to run toward your doubt. To run toward your doubt, and particularly to run toward your doubt with other people. So I opened uh, our time together by talking about the shooting in Las Vegas. Interesting thing about this shooting and actually many others throughout history, and you may have read this, but when the shooting started, when the firing started happening, an interesting thing happened. There was all this chaos and people were running everywhere and they were particularly running away from where the chaos was. But in the midst of all this chaos, there were these people that ran toward the chaos. They were the police and the first responders. I remember several years ago when there was a, a bombing at the Boston Marathon. I remember watching a video when the bomb went off and people dis dispersed. I remember watching these three police officers run toward the bomb. A number of years ago, I was watching a documentary about the Secret Service. Fascinating. They were talking about how they're trained to jump in front of the bullet for the president. Now, why do you have to be trained to do that? Because it's not a natural thing to jump in front of a bullet. Our natural reaction is to run the other way. See, when you and I are faced with the messiness of life and when we face with doubt, our natural reaction is to run away from it, to hide. But we need to be people who feel comfortable running toward the messiness. And we do that knowing that God is big enough to handle our questions and doubts that we don't need to be afraid of them. These things are not going to shock God. And we learn to run to it together. Friends, uh, we're in this together. We need each other. So let me just uh, close with an application. Uh, if you're here and you're not a part of a small group, uh, I honestly challenge you to, to pray and to seek whether that would be a good next step for you. Uh, small groups, if you don't know, are exactly what they sound like. They're small groups <laughs> of people. And they meet together generally every week and they just do life together and they learn together and pray together. And the idea here is that small groups don't fix everything, but they become the kind of place where these kinds of relationships can be formed where you can actually wrestle with the hard questions of life. But 
uh, we believe that life is lived best uh, in kind of intimate relationship like this, in sort of this kind of community, not in rows like this, but in circles as we move together and we come around a kitchen table or a living room. So small groups are places where you can learn to run toward God and hopefully become a safe place over time where you can share your mess with some folks. So you might want to take one of those connect cards and just fill it out or text and just say, you know, I might be interested in something like this. So uh, as the band comes up, uh, I'm going to ask that you stand together. And uh, I want to pray for us and for you, and then um, we'll close and we'll worship. So let's pray. Um, God, we are here because... Um, Because there's something inside of us that we know that this world is not right. And um, we sense that you may be the solution to that. And there are some folks in this room who right now they're experiencing a time in their life where they have incredible peace and maybe assurance. And, um, and maybe life with you and life with uh, other people, it's just really easy right now. And God, we celebrate that. But there are other people in this room who I sense are walking in a dark time. And you are wrestling with questions and doubts. And uh, the sadness and sorrow of this life can sometimes be overwhelming. And so God, no matter, no matter what no matter what our station in life, God, may we know that you are with us. May this be the kind of community that embraces um, who you are and may we walk with you and may we wrestle with the stuff of life uh, with you. And I pray, uh, uh, God, I pray for just an increased knowledge of you and a knowledge that you love us, that you care for us, and that you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake and God's people said.